I wasn't prepared, I guess, this morning. I thought I had everything, but my nose decided to start running, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, um, today we're going to be looking at Acts 13, and you know, it's, it's wonderful to look at how God's timing works when we look at things. Um, when we get into the scripture, you'll get what I mean um, as far as just the timing of how God got us to Acts 13 today, of all days, that it just lined up the way it did. So Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, because it's 52 verses long, and I'm going to break it down the entire time I'm going, so we won't have it up on the screen today. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who was brought up under the Herod of the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them, so that after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this is, uh, this is the church of Antioch. Church of Antioch becomes a very large church within the, after Paul goes out, becomes the center basically of Christianity. It becomes a bigger hub for Christianity than Jerusalem even. Uh, makes sense because Jerusalem is Jewish. But it becomes, because right now we're just right around, um, right around Jerusalem and uh, Galilee and those areas. And pretty soon we go all the way out to Rome. Some people even say to Spain, like we talked about four weeks ago. So a much larger area. But Antioch is now the place. The thing about this church that's important to know is they obviously have already received the word. They have the Holy Spirit, they have spiritual gifts, they have prophets and teachers. So for an easy way to remember what a prophet does, a prophet reveals God's will and God's word to the people. They don't have a New Testament yet, but they do have the Old Testament. They have witnessed Christ, but they haven't written it all down yet. It hasn't been formalized yet, but they have the stories and they have the oral oral tradition of it. And then you have teachers who take what the prophets have received and they teach it so that they can allow the people to go out and do, to empower the people to understand, to know who their Christ is. That is why this church of Antioch becomes such a a big part. And that is what we hope to do here at Community. That is one of the things that we have strived to do for quite a long time, is to become a place filled with the Word filled with the Word. We believe the Word. So the people in this chapter are sitting there, they're fasting, they're worshiping. They understand sometimes you have to fast in order to hear the Lord. They understand the importance of not having anything get in the way of when God wants to speak to you. And that's a, that's a discipline to fast. It's hard to do. I don't fast for more than a couple hours, and that's when I'm sleeping. I mean... I was told this week I have to fast 14 hours a day every day, and I'm like, can I pick when I sleep? You know, and they said yes, so I'm lucky there, but I'm still, I'm like, at some point that gets turned to where it's I'm backwards or something. I don't know if you're going 14 hours, but, um, the, uh, but they're sitting there, and they're, they're praying, and they're doing things. And so the importance of why this chapter is important today is they were, the whole Holy Spirit speaks to the entire congregation. So it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So right now, as you got the mail this week, we've had the opportunity to have someone set apart. So we're at that point where somebody's been set apart. 
Our church has been very blessed over the years to have a lot of people who have been set apart. I mean, if you look at even our community, you have Tom Burgraff, who was a member at this church, who was called to fill the senior pastorship at Bethany Baptist. You have Mark Bruton, who used to be our high school director here, or leader, who is now the senior pastor at New Song. You have, you have Cliff and Donna Goss, who started Hulam Lunch for boys, you know, so they would understand how to become men, who now serve at a, a boys' ranch in Texas. That's their ministry. We have, I mean, Aaron Havens was here. He's planted a church in Greeley. It's now merged with another church and even grown, growing stronger within the Greeley community. Alan Hunter's still working with youth in Colorado Springs. Doug and Candy Sparks still go throughout the world and, and help with ministry. In fact, Spencer and Annette Nickel leave for Iraq tomorrow. So we will be praying for them at the end of this service. I don't know if Spencer knew that. You didn't know that. I know that. So, uh, but we'll put them in the middle. We will lay hands on them and send them out, just like we're le- learning right now. And then we had, you know, we've had Jake Wilkinson, Jeff Wilkinson, myself, Greg, People step up and, and lead while, uh, after Steve's uh, retirement or refirement. He's not done. He's still called. He's being sent out too. So. Um, but then we have all of our youth leaders, our, our small group leaders, our ministry team leaders. Our, we have so many people here who are set apart. They're called to do something. And all of us are that way. And that's why we need to know the Word. That's why we need to worship. That's why we need to fast. That's why we need to do these things to set ourselves apart so that when God calls us, we are ready. And we're ready to go. That is, what, that is what we have been doing for the last couple of years. You know, we get to be just like those people. We get to lay hands, hopefully in a little while, on a new senior pastor. That will be an awesome place for us as a church. Over the last couple of years, we've done expository preaching. Expository preaching it means you take the word and you dissect it. We don't come up with a theme and say, we're going to talk about tithing, or we're going to talk about whatever. We talk, we're going through. So for the last two years, we've been getting ready to understand the Word more clearly because we're speaking straight from the Word. We've gone through most of Genesis. We've gone through Luke. We've gone through the story, which is an overview of the entire Bible. We now are going through Acts, which is the start of the new church. That's where we are in our new season, the start of the new church. So we are getting prepared to do those things. James 1, 21 through 25 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So I have a few questions. What makes God happier, church feasting on the Word or a church famished without the Word? Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time reading His Word? This is really what we've been trying to emphasize all this time, to get used to reading the Word other than just Sunday mornings. Why does the church exist? Does it exist so we can worship? Or does it it exist so God can be worshipped? Does it start with our wanting to be edified because we feel better because we've come to worship? Or is it better 
coming down from God first. Is that the emphasis? So we should always remember, whatever edifies God should edify us. And sometimes when we think what will make God happy is not exactly what does make God happy. Verses 4 and 5, they're in Cyprus. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Now get that, the Holy Spirit sent them. They were in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do all things through Him who empowers us. Went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is John Mark, the Apostle Mark. It's uh, that John, just so that everybody knows that's who that is. He comes as more of a deacon, as a person to follow, to help. Uh, He was selected by them because if you remember back at the beginning, the Holy Spirit set Barnabas and Paul apart, not John Mark with them. So they took him as a helper. Also, they went to the Jewish synagogues for a few reasons. One is, that would be the place where there would be the Old Testament writings. The Word would be in that building. They've already, the Jews already accept God, so they already understand the Word. And also, at that time, the Gentiles were able to go into the synagogues and worship, but there was a barrier where they could get no closer. And so, there was, both were there. So, Going on to verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So Bar-Jesus, a false prophet. Does everybody know what a false prophet is? I mean, we just assume we know it's somebody not for God. It's somebody speaking against. This is a false prophet is someone who claims that they hear from God and use it for their own edifying or and promotes evil in the end. They promote evil. So, He's with the, sorry. He was with an uh, He was the attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Paulus, Sergius Paulus, a proconsul. Proconsul is the highest-ranking Roman official in the senatorial region, so he is of high stature. And this false prophet is probably this person's counsel, the person he goes to. to hey, am I doing this right? Is this the way I should be doing it? Trying to say, is this what would be called upon me by God? Would this be, I mean, he's Roman, so I don't know how much he believes in God, but if he has a false prophet, maybe. But, so he's there and he's, he's referring to this person, and so this person has a lot of power. And then the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God, but Ilimus, the sorcerer, which was Bar-Jesus, he had two names, for that, it was, his name means, opposed them and tried to turn them, the proconsul, from the faith. So he was worried about losing his own position. He was lear- worried about losing his own stature within the society. He was le- worried about losing his own lifestyle. Have we ever done that? Have we ever said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forego what I know is right to enhance my lifestyle or keep my lifestyle? Have we ever tried to convince someone that they don't, want to go down the path of Christianity because it's fun over here. You know, there's, there's people that do that. Do you have friends who don't believe in Christ? It's good. That's good to have friends that don't believe in Christ. It's how you witness to them. That's how you expose to them. But are they spending energy chastising you for believing? 
Are they speaking death into your life? Are you being influenced by them more than they're being influenced by you? I know these are a lot of questions, and it's a lot of open-ended questions. It's just stuff for you to think about this week. Do you feel happier around the people who, with your believers, or do you feel better around the non-believers? Do they bring joy to your life? It's a question. Um, she's not here, so I kind of feel bad about talking about her, but I'm going to. Um, not my wife. Uh, <laughs> she's not here either. Uh, but uh, no, we have, a, we have a young lady in this community, in this church. Uh, some of you have met her, Katie. Um, she sings in the choir now. She's teaching Sunday school right now. She joined, she became a Christian two months ago. She's getting baptized October 26th right here. And it's open to anybody who wants to be baptized. Just talk to your ministry leader or myself or Greg or someone to talk about what the significance is of baptism. She will have a huge influence in a circle of people that I've never been a part of. Where she came from, she is going to witness to people who will never hear the word in a building to start. She will be out there fighting the good fight. She will be out there being a witness. She invites more people to church than I do. It's amazing to watch her growth and her enthusiasm. And I'm so proud of her. Just that she is committed. She didn't grow up in a Christian family. She didn't understand it. But she has a lot of friends who tear her down, chastise her for her faith. I was hoping she was going to be here this morning. We've had this discussion many times. But her face always lights up when she comes and sings in the choir, when she gets to come here Sunday morning. It's amazing to watch. I hope you get to know Katie. And I hope that she inspires you to talk to your friends, to witness to your friends, and just to live for Christ amongst your friends. You know, a few weeks ago I wrote about the Whatever USA and the ePastor News. Some of you probably read it. I realized that I could not go there without getting wrapped up in the hype for myself. I knew that in that environment, you give me a couple beers, I start to lose. The filter goes away. I still have that old college person inside me sometimes. And I knew I couldn't go to that environment. I couldn't be there. So I had to come up with a test that, uh, that I use for myself. You know, we always hear the one, if Jesus was in the room, would you do it? Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. He's in the room. <laughs> He's in you. <laughs> That's how that works. But an easier test that was revealed to me about a week after in my theology class, there was four questions. Will it honor God? It's the first question. The second is, will it trip others? Will it trip me? And will it feel clean? That's a new one for me. I've never heard, will it feel clean? And so I have to use that when I rent movies anymore. You know? Is, it, is that violence okay for me? Is that sex okay for me? Does it honor God? Not sure. Pretty sure I know the answer to that. I'm going to let you make up your own decision. You know, if, I'm, if, I'm, if my wife decides she wants to get a, rom, a romance movie and it has pornography in it, or soft por pornography, whatever they call it now, um, too much bare skin, basically, that could trip me up. That could make me think about something I don't want to think about. So she doesn't rent those movies anymore. Or she knows 
she tells, asks where that part is and I leave the room or whatever. But that trips me up. It doesn't affect her as much as it does me. So I have to make sure I don't select those. That's the tripping me. And will I feel clean about watching that stuff? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so you have to ask that. You have to find out what other people's stumbling blocks are. We're never supposed to put a stumbling block in the way. So you have to know what that is with your friends. You need to know that if you have a friend who has a propensity for drinking too much, you don't bring beer to the party. You know? I mean, that's just some of those things that you need to know. Or, you know, luckily, um, Jeff, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you've, uh, what, sober 34, 35 years? 29 and a half. 29 and a half years sober. So that's pretty awesome. I, I think that's awesome. But he's a good friend of mine, and we play golf together, and, and he always says, I, I say, can I, can I get a drink? And he goes, don't make my problem your problem. He's strong enough. That's not a stumbling block for him if I drink in front of him. So you have to know your friends. You have to know your, the people you're around to know. So use those four questions. If you want them again, just let me know. I'll give them to you after the, after the service. Moving on to verses 9 through 12. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop per perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, for I tell you, I tell you, for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So Paul, Saul, now becomes Paul. Four weeks ago, when I said the conversion, that actually wasn't true. I, I referred to Saul as Paul the Apostle at that point. It actually doesn't happen until this moment. He doesn't change his name until now. So it wasn't a name that he was given like Abraham was. This was a name that he chose. He had this name the whole time. In Hebrew, he's Saul. But now he's going out to the Gentiles. So he uses his Greek name, Paul. So he changes his name to be a Greek name so he relates to the people better. So I'm sorry if I missed construed that last week or I confused anybody on that. But now that we've got that clear, there is a change here that most people don't even recognize. I know I didn't even, I didn't until a few weeks ago myself. When we started this chapter, Barnabas and Saul are sent out. And now it's Paul sent out with Barnabas. So in the Bible, when you read the Bible, the first person always in the thing is the most important. So at the beginning, when Paul has his conversion moment, or Saul is still Saul, and he has his conversion, Barnabas is the only one that thinks he really stuck. The other apostles are scared of him. Barnabas has to bring him to the apostles and say, yes, this, this Saul has changed. It's not a Trojan horse. He's not getting into the inner circle so he can wipe them out. And so he's still Saul at that point, and so Barnabas is his leader. He is the one teaching Paul more in depth about Christ. And at this moment now, we finally made the switch where Paul steps forward and takes the reins and becomes the leader 
and Barnabas follows him. And then in a short while, when John Mark leaves, uh, it doesn't rub Paul right, so then Barnabas and Paul split all together. Sorry. So from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidia, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So he's in a synagogue. Jewish leaders have just asked a Christian to speak. Why would they do that? A couple things. One, they didn't know he had converted to Christianity. That's one. Two, he was taught by uh, Gamaliel, a famous rabbi, a very renowned rabbi of that area. So Paul was actually a rabbi within the Jewish faith himself. He had studied to be a rabbi. So he was a rabbi. So they would have said, hey, rabbi, step up, talk. And then third, he's only about 250 miles from where he grew up, so they would have known who he was. And they also knew him for the way he took on Christians and how he persecuted Christians. So he, they figured this was a safe bet. We don't have to screen this guy before we give him the pulpit. So at that moment, we have the only recorded sermon of Paul in its entirety in the Bible. It's the only sermon recorded by Paul in the entire Bible. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of their country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as, they, as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. So he's recanting the history of the church, the Old Testament. He's giving an overview. This is what the same thing Stephen did before he got stoned. All right. Um, and also, as you heard, he was speaking to the two different um, people. He was speaking to the Jews, and also the Gentiles. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, and on, on the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was a murderer, but God called him to he set him apart. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. So now we're getting into the account of Jesus. In the old time, when we've listened to other times when people have come before the Jews, they yell blasphemy. They yell, they, they don't even allow them to speak. So we know the Holy Spirit is part of this because Jesus, or Paul gets to go through a whole account of what happened to Jesus. So listen to how bold he is to the Jews. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel, and John was, comp uh, was completing his work. He said, 
What do you think I am? I am not the one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham and you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers do not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are ready, read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. There are, they are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by rising, raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David, so it is stated everywhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. And then he goes on a little further, and in, verse, in a couple of verses, I just want to keep going, but in a couple of verses in 38, he starts the invitation to, be, to go from Jew, Jewish believer to Christian. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. This is the start of the invitation. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your days that you, you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Pretty powerful sermon if Jews are asking them to come back after that. We'll continue. And I'm just going to keep reading and I'll just comment as we go. When the, when the congregation was dis dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. That's a new concept for them. They weren't used to grace. They didn't have grace. They had to earn their, their way, and they didn't have a heaven. So, you know, they don't have grace. There's nothing. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. We're back to the beginning. We're back to people speaking against Christ again, wanting to go back. I don't need to recant all that. But we're going right back there. We're going back to people wanting to not, they're jealous of the crowd, and they don't want people to walk away from Judaism because that would take away from their lifestyle, their tradition, what they believe, even though the crowds are starting to see it. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first, to the Jews. That's the order of things that's in the Bible. They go to the Jews first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. 
I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium, which we'll hear about next week. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they got moved out. They got moved on. But that's great. It helps spread the gospel. And the last thing I want to just read quickly is uh, Titus 3, 3 through 11. One last uh, cross-reference. And then we'll uh, close with a hymn. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating, every, any, uh, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured over us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to be doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but a Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, you have nothing to do with them. And you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. It's harsh words. Um... But we have to make sure that we are living for Christ, not for man. That we're not of this world, but we're, we're in the world, but we're not of it. And that we focus on God's glory through everything that we do. Or we at least attempt to. We try to. And, we don't, and when we don't know, we ask the four questions. Or we just sit in prayer until we have confirmation that we're supposed to move on in the direction we were going. That's my prayer for you guys this week. Just all the questions, all the things to think about where you're at this week and how, how you witness to your friends that don't believe or how you witness to your friends that do believe but may not believe fully or don't always seek glory. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will uh, always make you feel more confident in trying to do what is more edifying to God than edifying to yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, Lord. I ask that uh, you would take this message and turn it to the way that you need, the individuals need to hear it, how I need to hear it. Make it accurate for what you have preached and given us through this word and through your Holy Spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit to be in each of us, to help guide us every single day, to convict us of your glory, to convict us when we step out against you. 
Lord, I just uh, I surrender myself. And I thank you that you were able to surrender your son on our behalf. In Christ's name, amen. We'll be closing with hymn 98, To God Be the Glory, all verses. Please rise. to remind everybody about Saturday night, 6 o'clock at Webster Hall, potluck, meet and greet with Greg Meyer, and then on Sunday morning we'll have the service, and then please plan to stay after. There will be child care so that you can come and be a participant in the confirmation, um, or I guess the vote of uh, Greg Meyer. So um, I do want to have Spencer and Annette uh, move to the middle so we can lay hands on them and send them out.
Don't be shy. Move on in. <laughs> 